0: Well, it's certainly asset protection, the use of corporations and LLCs to protect yourself in business, to protect your real estate rentals, your investment properties. Uh, I wish they taught that in school. I think kids would stay into the 12th grade if they knew that they were going to get all this practical advice. I think kids need to know about patents and trademarks and intellectual property. Uh, and so, You know, those issues, just a a full-on year-long course on the legal issues in our society, along with financial education, would be terrific for
1: kids. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I am excited today. I have Garrett Sutton here with me. And if you don't know him, he's been writing books for the Rich Dad series, Rich Dad Poor Dad series for over 20 years. Uh, Garrett, uh, as a Rich Dad uh, advisor, corporate attorney, asset protection expert, and best-selling author with, get this, 900,000 plus books sold. With his insights and experiences, uh, Garrett has a lot to offer today uh, around business, entrepreneurship, money, and, uh, and, and a whole bunch of other topics. And so he has 35 years of experience working with entrepreneurs and investors, and is the founder of both Corporate, Direct, and Sutton Law Center. Uh, among a bunch of other things. And so Garrett, with that, I want to welcome you to the show.
0: Cody, it's a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, I'm excited. I just kind of offline told you a little bit about what Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the first book, and then subsequently, the series have had uh, an impact on my life and many other people I know. And so I would kind of, um, if you could kind of give me a background to pull the curtain back, how did you get involved with them?
0: Well, uh, I am an attorney in Reno, Nevada, and uh, Robert Kiyosaki was putting together a team of experts, and he'd always liked Nevada corporate law. And so he wanted to have an attorney on the team that knew Nevada corporate law. And that's what I've specialized in since I moved up here. And uh, so One thing led to another. He interviewed a few people, and, uh, you know, I was able to win the beauty contest, uh, in part because I played rugby, and Robert Kiyosaki is a huge rugby fan. He played for the Hawaii Harlequins, which was a really good traveling team, and uh, so the fact that I had played rugby and, and, you know, new team sports, liked participating with a team, uh, was, you know, one of the uh, things that helped me... uh, win the contest
1: that's uh that's very interesting it's crazy how it's sometimes that the the way the world works isn't it right <laughs> um and so your uh your, your writing career though uh it seems i mean you've written a lot of books and so what uh do you see differently now in that compared to what it was when you wrote that first one
0: you know, the first one, they gave me a pretty uh, short timeline to get it done. They really wanted this book out, and I met the timeline. <laughs> so I, I set everything aside. My wife was great. She took care of the kids who were young then. And uh, I got it done, and I met the timeline. And they thought, wow, okay, well, that this is pretty good. And then, you know, they liked the book, and so they keep asking me to write more.
1: And what kind of process do you go through for that?
0: Uh, you know, I get up at 4.30 in the morning and have a cup of coffee and, and write until the well runs dry. Uh, you know, that that's really my process is just uh, getting up every, pretty much every day and doing the writing.
1: Really? Yeah, because I mean, you have a lot of books and I mean, they go from corporate, like owning corporations to buying and selling businesses to uh, real estate loopholes and uh, even your newest book coming out um, about how to avoid scams in your business, right? Uh, how to scam-proof your assets. Sorry, that's what I wanted to make sure I got that right. It's coming out October twenty seventh.
0: Well, yeah, I have to uh, hold it up.
1: It's right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we got to get you one of those shelves they always do on uh, the news stations, where there's happens to be nine of those behind you. But, <laughs> but, um, exactly. and so with being such a wide uh, range of topics, like what, um, how do you go about deciding, like? A, I guess, what to write about if it's maybe requested from the publisher, or, or B, like, um, just getting that much information into the paper, you know, in, into a book is a, you know, is is a fascinating idea to me because a lot of people write and they stay in one lane, and I would say that your lanes might say might be around the business and you know asset side of it, but you're in a lot of lanes. So that's so I'm just curious, like, how have you been able to, um write on so many different topics?
0: Well, the rich dad company, uh, you know, listens to their audience. They, they listen to people who, uh, make suggestions, uh, the scam proof your assets book, they did a survey of, of what people feared the most. And one of them was being scammed. So that led to the writing of this book, Uh, the initial books on, on starting a corporation and loopholes of real estate you know, using the legal system to protect yourself when you invest in real estate. Those are all topics that the Rich Dad community wanted to, to hear about and read about. So that's what led to the writing of those books.
1: So do you, your process to get into there, to be able to put out that much information, do you immerse yourself in that? Do you seek, you know, um, other people for, for ideas? Like how, what kind of process do you go through to be able to put together? I mean, I think most books are somewhere between like, what, 40 and 60,000 words. So, um, you know, as you said, you get up every morning to write. Do you, like, let's just say on this on this most recent one on scamming, scam proof your assets. Um, how did you, what was the process like for you?
0: Well, I, I did a lot of research in the, in the area of scams. I read other books in the, uh, in the field, uh, talked to people. There are a lot of interviews in there. And, and so you just, you start big and you just narrow it down to uh, what you feel the audience wants to know. And so it, it's, you know, it's starting big and narrowing it down that really works for me. Um, yeah. My goal is to write it so it's very clear. You know, I tell stories, I, I try and make it crystal clear. The, the legal, in the legal world, they have this language called legalese. And, you know, it's, it's great if an attorney wants to hide the ball on, on the clients, you know, they can hide the ball by using legalese. I don't like using legalese. I like to write in plain English so people can understand. Uh, the, the legal concepts.
1: Yeah, one of my uh, one of my favorite sayings is a father writing back from he's at I think World War II and he's writing back to his son and he's trying to tell him you know how he sees the world because doesn't think he's coming home and it starts off with son if I had more time I would have wrote a shorter letter right you know and how to be impactful on right. shorter shorter you know in a shorter version so it's kind of funny you talk about being in a big big piece and then bringing it back down so that it gets to the most important pieces. And so, um, well, as one of the subjects, let's talk about that. So, uh, on scam proof your assets, is this kind of coming out of like the, the Bernie Madoffs of the world and people worrying about, you know, where their money is, like if they're chasing returns, because prior to Bernie Madoff, I didn't really know that anybody invested in anything other than like gigantic investment companies. Like I didn't realize there was all these boutique, you know, uh, uh, investment places that you could put your money and they were doing things with it, like all kinds of crazy stuff and you're getting statements and trying to figure it out. And is that really kind of where the book is, is, is geared towards?
0: Well, we talk about those issues. We, we have profiles of various well-known scam artists, including, you know, Charles Ponzi and Bernie Madoff and uh, Frank Abagnale, who was in uh, Catch Me If You <laughs> yeah. Can, the movie with Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio Uh, So, you know, we, we profile those people. And one of the things you come across is that these people are hard to identify these scam artists. They're charming. You know, they, they, uh, they flatter you. uh, That
1: might be your your first tip though. If your banker is super charming, you might have.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Maybe you need a checklist. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) So, you know, we, we we analyze those types of people who have gone out there and, and just created these massive frauds. And, you know, the people never suspected Bernie Madoff. I mean, he was head of NASDAQ. He was a philanthropist. He was really well-known and, and recognized as this guru. And no one ever really asked the hard questions of how do you return a year, year after year, after year. Um, and, and finally it caught up to him. He couldn't keep it going.
1: You know, I wonder because that got exposed really because of the, um, really because of the great recession. Right. And so with that big of a crash and as long as it was down, then, you know, the warts kind of showed up for it because then people were trying to get their money back and it became a juggling act and all that fun stuff. But, um, it's almost happened every time we've had a big recession that that's when the scams get exposed. And I wonder if, because of what we just went through, because basically we had about a month and a half, <laughs> you know, almost as, as the as stock, as, as a stock reception or rese- uh recession, I wonder if it skated through, you know, I wonder if there's people out there has to be, I would imagine there was some, you know, because a lot of people, I mean, I'm talking about like how March it nosedived and then by like, May, we're pretty much back to the same in the stock market here with the pandemic with so much liquidity being thrown at it. I wonder if that caused you know, some, some people to, that may have been able to show up on that radar to go through.
0: Well, that's a good question, Cody. You know, the, the SEC had investigated Bernie Madoff when times were good. Uh, and so he was able to skate through that investigation five years prior to his downfall. So, uh, you know, it's like Warren Buffett says, when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked. And uh, this recession of of 08 did catch up to him. And you have a really good question as to what's happening now, because there's so much money in the system right now. We may not uh, we may not understand who's really swimming naked for quite a while.
1: Yeah, I just uh I hadn't really thought about that until just now when we were talking about that. And I'm like, man, if that's you know, it, it was too fast. It's never we never seen anything like it before. And so uh I, I wonder what the stories are gonna come out in a year or two from now, but <laughs> um but so I also want to ask you, um, you know, you've written a lot of books on like uh getting out of debt and um you know, good debt and bad debt. And I kind of want to dive in that subject a little bit with um, with mindset of, you know, this is a money talker's audience that is listening um, for one, for themselves, but two, for also their kids. And so how would you define good debt and bad debt and good credit and bad credit?
0: Well, you know, good debt is, is a debt that allows you to put money in your pocket. Bad debt is debt that leaves your pocket and leaves your estate and you don't have anything left for it. So, you know, people will finance a car and that car is a depreciating asset. So the the finance you get on a car is bad debt. Uh, people will finance a duplex and hopefully the value of the property is going to go up, the rents go up. And so that debt is good debt because it allows you to build your net worth. So, we do try and talk to our kids about that. Um, at least in our family, um, you know, fortunately, my kids have been exposed to Robert Kiyosaki and they've traveled with him, And so that's been a huge benefit, uh, for me to be able to teach my kids, uh, just yeah, to listen awesome. to Robert instead of me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. And so, um, I, I just, uh, also, I, I think, this So the same kind of debt can be both good and bad, right? So that car loan you're talking about, uh if you use that to drive Uber, let's say, right? Does that flip it or does it stay as a bad debt?
0: No, if you're using Uber and it's profitable for you and you're getting ahead every month, then it's good debt.
1: Yeah, and I was just kind of thinking like where I was in my brain where... uh where, where I feel about student loan debt. Cause that was actually what I first thought about good debt and bad debt, right? Because it's such a large financial decision that we're placing on 18 year olds at this point that I think the knowledge of knowing good debt or bad debt can be the same kind of debt, because if you're going to take it and, and use that money towards a specific career goal, that's going to pay quite a bit more over a lifetime Then if you're just going and you're going to party and you're going to get the liberal arts degree and see what happens and it doesn't pay out the same kind of way.
0: Yeah, you have to factor that in. And I I always tell people that they should, you know, with with student expenses being so high, I mean, some kids should consider the trades. Yeah. You know, a welder can make a 100 grand a year. Mm -hmm. and come and and get into welding and not have any sort of debt ever. So there are those options out there that people should consider because I'm just, I'm flabbergasted at how much these schools are costing. And my kids are in grad school and they're doing online learning. And no one's ever offered a discount because they're not getting the benefit of sitting in front of a live professor. So yeah, these are times to question our educational expenditures.
1: I uh, I have personal feelings on that because I can't. What I can't understand is um, how, like, there aren't that many more students on the campuses, right? And there aren't that many more teachers on the campuses because they're on limited capacity for the most part. And uh, but the cost has skyrocketed. So where is that going? Right. The people that set their own, uh, pay scales, it has to go somewhere because it has to go into, into something, you know? And so I always kind of wonder as we've guaranteed these loans through the government to where you can't ever get rid of them. So you don't have to underwrite the borrower. Right. And that's, uh, but where does that, how, how does that explosion of cost, where do, I just don't understand where it's going. You know?
0: Well, I mean, when you allow the government to provide funding for college, the colleges respond by increasing the tuition, right? There's just more money there for the colleges to increase tuition, which is not to a societal benefit. I mean, mm-hmm. when I went to college, I my tuition was $600 a year for the University of California at Berkeley. You could work in the summer and pay for not only your tuition, but your your room and board. It was just that affordable and I think a lot of parents now, uh, rightfully so, are reconsidering whether their kids should go to college or what alternatives there are uh, for some of these expensive colleges. We all know that when you get out of college, where you went to college doesn't matter five years after you get out. It just doesn't matter. It's, It's who you are as a person and your work ethic. And so, I think a lot of people are saying, you know, first two years can be at a junior college. Uh, the the second two years can be at a public university. Uh, my son went to the University of Utah. He became a resident in Utah, they still allow that there. And, and the tuition was $6,000 a year. So there are some options out there, but I think uh, parents really need to think long and hard about this and counsel their kids as to what uh, what uh, professions are going to be worthwhile when you get out? Uh, because you know, coming out with some of these degrees they have now, um, it's it's not a good. Uh, you're not going to find the right profession uh, with with some of these. Uh, let's just call them liberal arts degrees.
1: Yeah, I um. I I, I think it's kind of a funny thing because. I would say probably 50 years ago it became like the dream to get your kids into college. Right. And even the Rich Dad Poor Dad series, like as he's talking through it, right. Get a good education, get a good. And that was such like a, a, a generational aspiration, I think. Right. And now with the majority of kids being pushed in and not pushed, but just majority of kids seeking to go to college and that kind of stuff. It's funny that you say that, you know, now we're trying to like look for alternatives like that's a, it's a complete mindset shift. And it's weird because I talk to a lot of people and there's so many people feeling that way these days that it's almost like there's been a, uh, there's been a, 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 a generational mindset shift, you know, because with self-education the way it is today too, you know, I, I joke about it, but I love YouTube university. Right. I want to know how to do something. I go watch two, three, four different people doing it. And I don't want the guy who's got like, the super published studio telling me most of the time, like I want the guy who actually resurfaces his driveway. And then I'll usually watch the guy who does resurfacing. And then I go watch the guy who tried to do it himself. Right. <laughs> I try, to, I try right. to get those two perspectives and I'm like, all right, they figured it out. I can do this, you know, and I go out and try it. <laughs> and then it saves me a fortune, but it's like, I also, you know, um, there's a fundamental, complete fundamental shift in my kids. Uh, they're six and eight. They ha- They see the way that they can consume things completely different and not by a little bit, right? I had to explain television to my son when he was uh, four, five. We were in a hotel and he was asking me, to, he's like, put the show on. I'm like, it starts in 10 minutes. Go get in the shower. You'll, it'll be on when you come back out. And he's like, look at him. He's like, just put it on. I'm like, you can't just put it on. And he was like, why not? And I'm like, well, because some guy in some city determined what everybody could watch and when they could watch it. And he's looking at me. And I go, I get it, dude. Your way, your way is way cooler that you just click the button and you can watch 20 episodes of Pokemon if you want. But like <laughs> in the old days, <laughs> which is like what right. we shifted through. But like I think about in the educational piece of that, because if they want to know how to do something, they already hop on YouTube and go read it and figure out and watch people do it. And they go and they do it. They, they build crafts and they do things. And I just think that there's a, it, it's going to be crazy. Some of the, that we are in a massive shift as in Disney just yesterday uh, said that they're looking at putting most of the things through their Disney plus now, which is crazy because they own half of TV and they right. w- had uh, uh, something like 40 out of the last 52 box offices, number ones, you know, and they're progressively taking a shift on to direct consumer you know? Well, it's like my kids, when they were in high school, they had fairly good teachers, but if
0: they didn't understand something, they'd go to Khan Academy, and they would learn really well from that series, and now with COVID, uh, you know, my kids are learning from home, right? They, they don't even have to set foot on the campus. They don't want them to set foot on the campus, but I think there is going to be this shift, Cody, where people realize that I can get the education online. And the prices are gonna come way down because you don't have to maintain a basketball stadium for these types of educational opportunities. And uh, I think there is a shift coming and, and people are now realizing that you can learn online. I, I prefer to be in front of the professor and ask questions and all, but some people are content to learn online and, and so be it. There That will bring the cost of college down. I
1: yeah, I think so too, because like say anything else, you've got one gallon of milk and six people want to buy it, you know, price going up. And then, whereas, as four or five of those guys walk off, like I think the college costs are going to have to come back down too, you know, between what they've done to raise it, because there's going to, I think they're going to have less buyers. You know what I mean? I think that just the way that the, the youth today is seeking information is amazing one of the stats I saw um, said 78% of generation Z, which is like the kids through like high school right now and getting into college, uh, wanted financial education in school. I was so encouraged and blown away by that because I didn't even know what financial education was when I was in school. Right. They
0: didn't teach it to us.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like I didn't even know it was out there. I didn't even know I didn't know these things until, you know, I got to <laughs> college and I took my first finance class and I was like, Oh, like, this, and then I was like, oh, this is how money works. I've got it now, you know? And it's like, <laughs> and I went out right. the, went out into the real world and got a, a, a real education on it, um, which wasn't fun. But, uh, you know, and, and I think about those kinds of things and it's like, it's almost like what you're doing with your books. You've got such specific topics that you can deep dive in, in, into these into these pieces that even if you pick up 10 or 20% of the, you know, the deep dive, you're so far ahead of everybody else that hasn't gone down the dive at all. Right. Right.
0: And you read, that's what I say in some of the books is just, you're going to read this and you're going to be, you know, not at bat waiting to learn all about it. You're going to be at second base. You're going to be able to ask the right questions of your attorney or advisor because you've read this book and you understand some of the key principles.
1: Yeah, you didn't even know there was a game. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> a lot of times, right? <laughs> like, we had a game yesterday? <laughs> so well, what, you know, there's uh, one other
0: yeah, one other uh, thing I want to mention is I think you're going to see a rise of apprenticeships. Hmm. Um, I, I think people are going to realize that they are they can learn more by working in a business, in some cases offering their services for free for a period of time and learning through an apprenticeship rather than learning in a college classroom. So I, I think that's going to increase as well.
1: Well, it's like anything else, you know, we, we, um, there was, we, I had a mortgage brokerage, um, in the heyday in, uh, you know, they would, the guys would have to go get mortgage broker licenses and they would go do that. And then they'd show up and I'm like, just forget everything you just learned (laughs) Like (laughs) that it doesn't work at all in the real world. Like, you know, not the legalities, but don't think that you know how to do any of this stuff yet. You know, it's not how it works. And so I kind of feel a lot of it's the same way. There's a lot of self-education and a lot of, I think there's a lot of, um, opportunity right now for experts that have never seemed to be experts before. Right. And they all, they used to say like you, if you, if you, uh, you teach because you can't do or whatever. Right. And so I think that there's a, that's getting flipped on its head right now, because if you've been a painter for 20 or 25 years, you can be a YouTube painting star, or you can write a U uh, a painting course and put it into a course form and sell it for 99 bucks or 200 bucks and sell it, you know, 10,000 times and make more money selling the course that you've built all this knowledge in your head. And as a person, like I would much rather have someone who's painted for 25 years teaching me how to paint the outside of my house than somebody who went to school for painting and has now got a painting degree to teach me how to paint. Right. (laughs) And so, uh, I really think that those opportunities are, are just, I think they're exploding right now.
0: I would agree with you.
1: And so, um, When you are thinking about all these different subjects, right? Can you pick out a a, a subject or two that you think would be in a massively impactful conversation for parents to have with their kids around? Well, I
0: certainly asset protection, the use of corporations and LLCs to protect yourself in business, to protect your real estate rentals, your investment properties. Uh, I wish they taught that in school. I think kids would stay into the 12th grade if they knew that they were gonna get all this practical advice. I think kids need to know about patents and trademarks and intellectual property. Uh, And so, you know, those issues, just a, a, a full on year long course on the legal issues in our society, along with financial education, would be terrific for kids.
1: I would love for them to also tackle one of the subjects that you have in here about buying and selling a business. So I didn't know that you could sell a business and I had a million dollar business and I lost it all in 2008, 2009. Um, I didn't realize that they were such a multiplier effect of value and wealth and that there are people that will buy cash flow. I had no idea and I had 25 employees, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, uh, could you touch into the, some of the highlights of that, uh, kind of, um, I guess in the buying side of it, the selling side of it, if you could kind of dig into that a little sure. bit for me. Sure. I mean, we're, we're always taught to
0: be the, the lonely entrepreneur that starts the business and, and grows it and, You know, there's risk associated that with that, like anything else. And we're not really ever taught that. Hey, you can go out and buy a business, right? You don't have to start it up. Uh, You can get bank financing to buy a business that has actual cash flow and customers and uh, and goodwill. Uh, So a lot of us are are kind of taught that you have to be the entrepreneur to start up the business and, and forget about the fact that there are plenty of businesses. Uh, for sale. And, uh, you know, if you're going to sell a business when it's time to retire, you don't want to shut it down. If your kids don't want the business, they're business brokers that will help you sell the business. If you're going to do that, I would start about two years ahead of time to, you know, put the business in place so that you can sell it. You need to make sure all your corporate books are in order and your, your, uh, accounting records are in order, Um, you know, so you can present a good uh, opportunity for someone to to clearly see how they can invest in it and they can continue the business and continue to make money. Um, So those are some of the issues that we, we talk about in buying and selling a business. It is a great strategy for a lot of people who don't want to get out there and start that business right from scratch, who would rather have that leg up and, and be able to find a business that has cash flow and then analyze the business in such a way that you can double or triple or 10 times the growth of the business for your own benefit.
1: To me, it's the fastest path to wealth, not the safest, but the fastest and because i don't think really a lot of people understand um that it's a multiplier of what the business makes becomes the value of the business and the cleaner you make the business as you're saying that the bigger the multiple right because it's a safer investment to a to a presentation right kind of like how you said you got picked as the uh as the as the the prettiest rugby player right
0: (laughs) there aren't many of those
1: (laughs) not not at the end maybe at the beginning but not at the end that's for sure (laughs) right (laughs) and so um you know it's uh it, it just it never really ever dawned on me at the time you know then now i've been through the process a few times and um you know, I, I thoroughly actually enjoy it because it's, you get to meet some, some amazing people and opportunities. I, um, I think that as young people, I think they can go out and tackle big ideas. I don't think they realize you also can buy businesses without with using the seller as the bank. Many times, Absolutely. there's a lot of people right. that want to sell that are ready to retire or do another chapter in their life, right? Change their money story. And they were look they don't want to give up the asset that they've built, but they maybe not necessarily want to take all the cash back either, so they don't trigger taxes and things like that. And so there's a lot of ways to structure business financing, which I think falls into the rich dad uh, you know realm, very much so that creative financing, right?
0: Absolutely. And one of the strategies is you're gonna build a business, why not own the real estate that the business Uh, operates from. Have a separate LLC that has the real estate. You pay the mortgage. You you pay rent to the LLC. The LLC pays the mortgage. At the end, when you retire, you own a piece of real estate. You sell the business, but you keep the real estate and you have income uh, that way as well. So owning a business and owning the real estate associated with the business is a great strategy
1: there is a uh, there is a movie either coming out or recently came out uh that tells the story of ray Kroc and mcdonald's you know and the famous thing that he he met a he met a business strategist and the guy says you know what business are you in ray and he says the burger business and he goes no man you're now in the real estate business right <laughs> and that was actually how they had you know flipped that to other people running the business and them collecting that was them when they estate. turned it
0: around the movie yeah. was the founder with michael keaton
1: yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: and and he turned it around once he got the real estate part of the equation right
1: yeah yeah and that's it, it was such a cool kind of uh mindset shift and lesson to pull the pull the curtain back and show people what really went down with mcdonald's and how it became the powerhouse that it is was he separated it and uh the wealth came from owning the real estate right <laughs> yeah i um and so, uh, what um, kind of impact do you think, or what, what has written the books, what kind of impact has that had on you and your business? Well, a book is
0: a great business card. Uh, so, you know, people have read my book and they, they kind of like the way I write. And so, people do call the office to set up corporations and LLCs. That's our main business. So it's been good for that. And then I also just enjoy the writing process. I like taking a topic and trying to make it understandable for people. So it, it, it's it's not only for business, but it has personal benefit for me as well.
1: Yeah. Do you do you turn to, turned around to reflect on what you do with your, uh, I don't know, quote unquote, main business? I don't <laughs> you know how to say but like your, your attorney practice, your practice. Like, do you take the lessons you pull from things and then kind of integrate them into your, uh, your practices there?
0: Yeah, I, I uh, of course, disguise them very well. <laughs> we do have attorney-client privilege. Uh, no, but I, I do, uh, will, I, I use stories that I have heard of or experienced or other attorneys have been through because, you know, you want to present a real-world situation uh, as part of the examples
1: and so, um, by doing that, um, you know, what are some of the lessons that you've kind of pulled out of this last one with, uh, protecting your skin? Well, what was it, was there some big like ahas in there that you ran across and were just like, wow, <laughs> you know? Well, my big aha is the government needs to step up and go after these people.
0: I mean, it is a crime wave that's out there and it's really unfair. If you get hacked, Cody, the government says you're responsible, it's your fault, and the criminal who hacked you goes free. They make no attempt to go after these criminals, and everybody is getting inundated with this cyber criminality. And these people are only getting better at it, and they're going to be able to bring down power systems and hospitals. Um, you know, there was a case of ransomware recently where. You know, they, they infect your computer system, and this was a hospital in Germany, and someone died as a result of this ransomware attack. And, and there's evidence of suicide where people are scammed. And so the government really needs to step it up and go after these people.
1: And what are some good tips for people to think about this as they're, uh, as they're looking at their own lives?
0: Well, I think you have to just have your guard up at all times. You know, I mean, we love using the internet and there's all sorts of benefits from it, but there's this downside to it where you have to be cautious every moment of the day because everybody is attempting to get at you and scam you this way or that way. So with the benefits of technology come the burdens of all these scams.
1: Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I think it's going to get more and more digital and less and less, you know. And I think COVID has had a big piece of that, too, um, as some people try to push into, you know, the cashless societies and that kind of thing. And so um, it's a it's almost a catch-22 as you're going down that road. Well, it's like Bill Gates says,
0: AI, artificial intelligence, so, you know, what could go wrong? And Elon Musk says, what can't go wrong? right
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah he he's uh if you ever let him get down that uh tangent it it, it can keep you up at night i can guarantee you that because <laughs> uh you know that's that's one dude that's pretty smart
0: <laughs> and yeah. he's got
1: his hands in it and it's uh i i like the fact that he you know just to, on a side note but he there's a part where he talks about you know say well what happens when the machines take over and he's like they're not going to take over we're going to become them and the guy yeah. well, how, well, how do you mean that and like he's like well we already have it was like you know he holds a smartphone up and he's like we've already become them it's just going to get more integrated into our operating system you know whether and that's where like it's it just you start to think that way and it's like it's not going to be us versus them it's going to be us is them <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah
0: i mean whoever thought that this science fiction would be right at our doorstep
1: I remember the first time I saw a watch that made phone calls. (laughs) I was like, like, Oh, wow. (laughs) You know, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal, but it was like, you know, I'm wearing one right now actually. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) and so, uh, I guess if you have another takeaway, um, you know, what would you leave with people that say, okay, where would I start in your book series and where would, uh, where would you like them to, where do you think they could have a really big impact would be one of the first areas to start?
0: Well, the first book I wrote, Start Your Own Corporation, I think is kind of the foundational book. Uh, I always encourage people to read Rich Dad Poor Dad. But once you understand that you want your assets working for you, you wanna protect those assets and Start Your Own Corporation uh, does talk about those issues. If you're gonna invest in real estate, Loopholes of Real Estate is uh, a book that I wrote that's also it's also the second most popular book. Start Your Own Corporation is the first most popular. And so those two books, I would say, are great places to start uh, for someone who realizes that, you know, you can't rely on a job for forever. You've got to get out there and build a business, invest in real estate, uh, and and take steps on your own for for your benefit and your family's benefit so that you're you're just not left with a pension, which Robert's latest book is about how the pensions won't be there for us. So, you know, you really have to take steps now and look critically at what's coming in the future and know that you've got to take steps now to make the assets work for you instead of you working for assets.
1: You know, that ties into exactly the last person I, I had an interview uh, with, and they're they're an economics firm that uh, forecasts future economics. <laughs> um, but, uh, and he was like, uh, he was like, yeah, let's talk about the 2030s. And I was like, Oh, hundred, you know, you don't think about that. And is, and so, uh, a lot of it was in that was diversification on multiple streams of income. And, uh, you know, it really ties in for people to understand that becomes, um, not just understand it, but, uh, apply it, um, and take the steps to do it. And I think that I agree with you on the ability to form a corporation and the protections that it has. And if you don't know how to do it, find someone who does, right? But to think that way, of you know, if you start it from the beginning, that the right way, when you have things to protect, then they get bigger and bigger. It's so much easier than trying to unravel that uh, that ball of yarn on the on the on the, outside, on, the on the other side of it and go, wait, I built something, now let me go back and try and protect it, it gets much harder, I think. Well, and
0: people will get started and they think, you know, I'll set up the corporation or LLC later, they get busy, it doesn't happen. And if you get sued, and the property or the business is in your individual name, everything you own is exposed to the claim. So you really need to set these structures up now, right at the start.
1: Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice, and so, Um, well, Gary, that's our time for this episode and, uh, we're going to stick around for the high end impact series. Uh, but I want to say thank you so much for coming on with me. Um, if you're, if you're listening to this, uh, you can find, um, Garrett Sutton, uh, rich dad, you can type them into Amazon. There's a plethora of books to read on there. You should buy them. Uh, there's, I I realized looking at the covers of these, I had several of them. I think I'm pretty sure I had your first one on how to open a corporation when that was when I opened my first company at 23. And so uh, I wanna say thank you personally for sending me down my uh, insanely uh, fun entrepreneurial path early in life. And, uh, And thank you for coming on Money Talkers with me.
0: Thank you, Cody. It's been a pleasure.